We are going to be exploring in as much as possible today the goodness of God. Before we begin, I'd like to pray again, seek the Spirit's great help as we explore this, examine this. We're going to be doing a lot of page turning today, so seeking what the Lord says directly from His Word about Himself to encourage us and enlarge our faith and our love and our worship of Him. So let's go to the Lord. Holy Father, we do thank You, Lord, even for today, the declaration, the evidence of Your goodness, Lord, that we can gather, we can come together. You've provided all of the means necessary for this assembly, this body of your believers, Father, of your children, to come together and to open your word. Father, we confess and realize that we are finite, we are feeble, we are limited, Lord, in our understanding. So we ask and seek the person of the Holy Spirit himself to come and be with us and to guide us into all truth to sanctify us and equip us, Father, O Lord, that our our hearts would truly be enlarged in dependent trust and faith in you and to relish and to consider and remember your great goodness to us and especially, Father, your goodness to us as your children. So, Lord, give us illumination by your Spirit and understanding that we may receive and apply and live out, Father, what we what we hear from you today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. <clears throat> Please excuse my voice and throat. I'm fighting off the stuff going around. So, But the grace of God is sufficient for all things, amen. So when we consider just the word good, what comes to mind? Quick. Salvation. Okay. Just in general terms. Positive? Positive. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Perfect. Perfect. Better? Best? Favorable? Oxford says it's having required qualities or high quality or morally right. And the goodness is, is the quality of being good. And we can say, we will examine this and see this, I pray and hope today, that God is truly, consistently a good God. He is eternally good. In fact, his name that we give in our English language for God, does anybody know where that comes from? It's a derivative from the German language, gut, which is good. And that's where the English word for God came from is good. So good and God are synonymous terms. I guess that's one good thing for the Germans, right? Amen. (laughs) I don't know if that came from Luther or not. I didn't go that deep. But anyway, that's from the language. So I want to turn to Psalm 105. I want to start this out just declaring and and setting our minds upon the goodness of God. Psalm 100, verse 5. Someone would like to read that for us. Don't be shy. Amen. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. Amen. 
Yahweh is good, everlastingly good, faithful in his goodness to every generation from Adam until this day and the future generations that are coming right behind us. That goodness never ceases and changes. Psalm 106.1. We'd like to read that. Don't be shy. Okay. gives us an insight of where our praise should be focused upon him, upon the person of God, and, and for his goodness to us, and again, in his everlasting loving kindness. Psalm 34, 8, I'll read this one. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a, this is a compelling command to come and taste and see, verify, prove for yourselves that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And for those of us who have put our trust in the Lord, we are brought into the goodness of God in such a glorious way. And as believers, we should have a continuous flow of thanksgiving and praise from our lips for his goodness, his care, his loving kindness, and the many and the mercy that he's lavished upon us. And this, this goodness of God and what comes from the scriptures, in Hebrew it's called tub, and in the Greek agathos, is this glorious, I mean it's a wonderful attribute to explore. Um, I told Landon, I said we could be here the rest of the month, next month, going through all the aspects of the goodness of God, and I'll show you why here in a little bit. But just for us to continue to, to meditate and consider and, and to remember now that the intent of our study as we go through these attributes is that we'll be persuaded in our hearts to see just how glorious the divine perfection of that nature that's within our Father and the very person and being of the eternal God. Burkhoff tells us that God is good in the metaphysical sense of the word as that which, which transcends all and is, is absolute perfection and perfect bliss in himself. God's goodness is found complete in himself. He is the ultimate source of all good. And this is why Christ himself said in, Ma- in Mark ten eight to the rich young ruler who came to him, asking him, how, how may I gain, how may I earn eternal life? And Christ says, you know, he called him good teacher, and Christ says, no one is good except God alone. And, and the Lord's intention here in this was to set a, a correct perspective for the honor of God as he is the standard of good and is worthy of his own approval and our praise. And this too, like, like all of his attributes, is one of eternality. It's, it's immutable. It never changes. It didn't become at some point in existence it has always existed it exists now and it will continue through eternity it will never fade it will never diminish but it's just one of his many moral attributes that we know through our study we found out that they are the simplicity of god is they are working in harmony they're united they're multifaceted they're not just singular one raised up in importance of one another but they're in a harmonious working in his being exercised in different aspects and different means, but always harmonious there.
And we can look at it this way, talking about the goodness of God specifically. If the attribute of God's holiness, which we will study, Lord willing, in a few weeks, if the attribute of God's holiness displays his transcendence over creation, okay, it is God's goodness that emphasizes his condescension or his condescendence toward his creation and creatures. This is why this is called one of the moral attributes, because it directly comes as a benefit to his creatures, to his creation, from molecular plant life through the animal kingdom, through every man, woman, and child, to the stars, to the heavenly realms. Everything is impacted by this goodness from God. And again, just the warning, we must be careful not to, not to devote or, or single out one attribute as more glorious or predominant as another. This particular attribute carries with it a, a unique splendor. And this is what I mean about how we could extend this study out, which some of these we will. If we look at God's knowledge as, as a harmonious aspect and and a harmonious aspect of God's wisdom, then we may understand God's goodness as like a general category that's found within it, his love, his grace, his mercy, his pity, his compassion, his patience, his kindness. Many of those attributes we're going to go through, Lord willing, and all of which are glorious in and of themselves and harmonious in and of themselves with one another in the being of God. So today, with that introduction, any questions so far? I thought I saw a hand go up. Anybody? No? Okay. It's a bad reflection. (laughs) But especially those that that these, these particular attributes and the goodness of God that we'll look at such a powerful way to display the tender heart and the fatherly character of God to us. So we're going to look at three headings today. The first one is going to be the nature of God's goodness, the nature of God's goodness. And then the goodness, God's goodness to mankind, which is going to be predominantly to the unbelievers, and God's goodness to his children or to his elect. So the nature of God's goodness. God's goodness, as I said, originates in himself. It's found in himself. He, he is the source of all goodness. And everything we see in creation and the creatures derives, receives its goodness from God alone, who is the fountain of goodness. Man does not have any goodness from himself, and God has no goodness without himself or apart from himself. God's goodness is an eternal goodness that was neither derived from any external thing in eternity past. He didn't inherit it. He didn't take it on. It has always been in his being, and nor will it be added to or depleted. He is the only supply, the sustenance, the, the, the source of all goodness to us. And we see from the very created order in Genesis 1 that the goodness of God was, was breathed out in his spoken word. And it, he, once he saw, he declared seven times, 
this is good. This is good. This is good. Culminating with the creation of man and woman as very good. Okay? Second aspect under here is God's goodness is infinitely good. Okay? His goodness is, an, is as infinite as his essence or his being, meaning not only good, but best. Not just good, but goodness itself in its fullness. God's being, or excuse me, God's goodness being the supreme, unconceivable goodness is what Sharnock tells us. And this derived goodness found in all his creatures and in all of creation is but a particle of the primitive goodness that comes from God. Part of that divine goodness that has been communicated to a vast number of creatures in various degrees, as I said, from molecular structures, atomic structures, all the way to the stars, the heavens, the solar systems, even the spiritual realm. The third part under this is God only is perfectly good. He is infinitely good. Because God has within himself the whole nature of goodness, his goodness toward his creatures is never lacking. It never wanes. It is, it is due to his eternal perfections within his being that he is all that is an absolute perfection of goodness. An example we can see, there's a perfection of heat found in the sun. We receive a, a particle of that heat that warms us from the sun. Not We are not equal to the sun in receiving that, that warmth, that heat, as the sun is. It's the same as God's goodness is in its perfection of goodness. We're recipients always of that goodness. Never, never as James says, a shifting shadow. Never a, a trick up his sleeve or, oh, I got you that time type thing. Always good toward us. And finally, God is only, or God only is immutably good. None of us are immutable good in our own nature. Our goodness is, is mutable. It's fallible. What we receive, even what we have, what we put to use in our works is still mutable, fallible. We're not always perfectly good. We're not always helpful. But we may derive true goodness from a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But it is still God alone who is only immutably good, can never be bad, and as I said, without shifting or shadow of turning. Richard Baxter says, As the sun is the same in its nature and influences, though the earth and clouds oft interposing make it seem to us as varying by its rising and setting and by its different appearances or entire withdrawment, when the change is not in it, so God is unchangeable, and our changes are shadows, and shadows are not from any mutability or shadowy alterations in God, but from ourselves. And just some summary scriptures I want us to look at under this heading, this point. Um, when someone turned to Psalm 136.25, Okay, brother. When, when 
25. Yep. Who gives food to all flesh, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Amen. We see just how the Father is given to the whole earth. Everything that he has created, the air, the water, the food, the sunlight, the moonlight, all his created beauty around us is by his hand. It is demonstration of his goodness, and in his goodness he continues to sustain and provide for it. In Psalm 145, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read a few verses there. <clears throat> Particular verse, start with verse 9. Psalm 145, verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. His goodness covers the vastness of all his created handiwork. Nothing is beyond his goodness. And then down further in verse 15, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. He knows exactly, particularly, timely, exactly what we need, even his creatures in the animal kingdom and the, and the plant life kingdom, all of those. He brings the rain. He brings the sun. He provides the seed and the food for the birds. And verse 16, just continue there. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living, living thing. It is, it is from the eternal nature of God to provide every essential need. From the plant life, animal kingdom, as I said, even the proper orbits, even the distance of the earth from the sun to control our seasons and the moon, all that we enjoy is a demonstration of his goodness. And I suggest to you some really good psalms to read and meditate on as, as far as God's goodness is Psalm 103 and 104, um, both to his specific creatures and to all of his creation are wonderful ones. Let's look at one more scripture. Job 38.41. Someone like to look that up. Just an example of his creaturely concern and goodness. Got it, brother? 38.41. Yep. Amen. From the greatest, us around here, providing for all of our needs to the least, God's goodness is showered upon the entire breadth and depth of all his created order. Okay, any questions so far? We've looked at the nature of God's goodness. Any comments? Any feedback? Can I defer that for two weeks? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's an interesting, there's an old theologian who, who spoke about the love of God and the wrath of God, especially as, 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 it, as it is towards Christians. Uh, I forget his name, but he says the wrath of God is the love of God. Yeah. For Christians. Did you understand that? Be- the wrath of God is the love of God. It is the goodness of God, that goodness that you might taste of, that love. Um, because it. Yeah, it's it's going to be a vindication for sin and for all the evil in the world. That's that's 
demonstration of his goodness for us. Dem- I mean, clearly seen on the cross already, but ultimately in, in judgment when we face the Father. So, amen. Amen. Yep. Right. Right. Because that ties right in with his justice and his holiness. Yeah. Amen. You going to get into that, brother, in a couple of weeks? <laughs> Amen. All right. Point number two. God's goodness to mankind, and specifically to unbelievers. And I'll kind of touch on that, not in in as much depth, but part of that here. God also extends what I'll identify as his general goodness to all men, which we call what? There you go. Common grace, yeah. Even to the unbelievers in this world. This is the non-redemptive, grace to unbelievers, and this is the goodness of God given to them, and and we can reflect on this too as well before Christ, that even in the midst of their sin, and while they still persist in their sins, they're recipients of God's goodness to them. And God extends his hands to give them good gifts, even to those who are his enemies. It allows them to enjoy his creation, to breathe his air, to enjoy the food that he's created for them. They can enjoy the blessings of marriage, have children, you know, go to school, have a career, know what a sense of accomplishment is all about. And God's goodness allows them to make vast, you know, scientific discoveries to even compose and play beautiful music that God himself has created and and enjoy the benefits of of medicine and the technology of this world. We see, if you turn over to Matthew 5 real quick, verses 43 to 45, Jesus says here that, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, For he causes his son to arise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And what Christ is saying here in this passage, that through God's goodness, he's not only demonstrating his love to all his creatures, all of man, and how we as believers are to do likewise in showing impartial love and care, just as the Father does to us and and we are to the unsaved. Because God's love and providence benefit everyone, including his enemies. So both for unbelievers, but even more so for us as those in Christ, enjoy the blessings of his goodness given to us through his creation. And also Romans 2, 4. We're familiar with that one. Do you think lightly of the riches of God's kind, his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness or the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And men still in sin think lightly of or look down upon and underestimate the value of God's goodness and kindness, but he still administers this to all. And what a good God 
that man, apart from a supernatural work of the Spirit and the gospel, experience every moment of their lives the goodness of God from breath to death and receive everything good and worthwhile from the very gracious hand of God. Sixteen and seventeen. Thank you. Read that. Um, that's my next scripture, brother. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. But, um, but Paul tears his clothes. He's asking why these men are doing these things, and he, and he answers to them, "Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them." And in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Amen. Yep. Yeah, and and just to continue that thought, in in permitting the nations to go their own ways, he, he was demonstrating his goodness through tolerating that those who didn't have a full revelation of his holy will, even though he had revealed himself in in creation and given general revelation to their conscience, he was still demonstrating goodness to them. And though they had no written or or special revelation, his providence and, and unlimited goodness testified to his creative power in this. So his goodness testifies to all creatures, with both within themselves and their conscience and through all the created order. Say that in Romans 1. In Psalm 73, this is a, a signature psalm by Asaph, where we see that God's goodness extends to unbelievers in such a way that it seems that God is blessing them and many times greater than we receive blessings that you know they're growing fat in their eyes in their marrow and sometimes this perception can cause us to stumble i want to read verses one through nine there real quick psalm 73 surely god is good to israel to those who are pure in heart but as for me my feet came close to stumbling my steps had almost slipped For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They lie down in death with a smile on their face, their arms crossed, and were fat from their enjoyment of this life and God's goodness. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. Their imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. But what Asaph goes on further to teach us is a really valuable lesson that how he, how he remembered and how we must maintain a right perspective when we see this 
prosperity of the wicked all around us, the multi-billion dollar houses and incomes and the homes, and not to grow envious of them, but to realize, just as Asaph did, where did he go to get a right perspective? To the house of the Lord and to the sanctuary where he heard the word of God. Not, not to be envious and despise and hate them, but to understand that those who step out of life's prosperity and abundance will be immediate recipients of God's wrath and judgment. And in that judgment, they continue to receive his goodness, just do goodness in his wrath. And how quickly they will descend to the eternal bowels of hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it is only in the house of the Lord, it is only in by abiding in his presence do we maintain that perspective to see that all, all that is in this life, just how God truly good he is to us and even to unbelievers. I really like Alan Ross's summary on this as an application for us. I want to read this real quick, not very long. When believers question their faith because they envy the prosperity and power of unbelievers, they can regain a proper perspective on life and confirm their faith by seeking God in the sanctuary where they will be reminded of their glorious and eternal relationship with the Lord in contrast to the sudden destruction of the wicked. Because Asaph says in there too how quickly they're gone, how quickly they're forgotten. They are no more, you know. So, not to fret, not to worry. And we also see God's goodness toward unbelievers in Psalm 25, 8, where he says, Good and upright is the Lord. He and Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He even teaches, another evidence of God's goodness, he teaches, gives unbelievers opportunity to hear the gospel, the instruction they need to meet the very deepest need that they are unaware of they need to salvation through Christ. What an expression of his goodness. That, that's, that's an encouragement to further each day pray for those divine occurrences, those divine meetings to share the gospel with folks, to give them that good news that the hope of the, the seeds of the gospel will be planted that others may water and that God would cause the growth. Okay, so we've looked at nature of God's goodness and his goodness to unbelievers. Now we're going to come to the third point. God's goodness specifically to believers, to his children. This is even more an amazing and precious reality of God's goodness to his elect how much he lavishes good things on his children, not always through material abundance, that I don't mean a name it and claim it, get rich, best life now type goodness. That's not what is is in my mind here. Although God does bless materially, he will supply your needs. It may be abundantly. And if it is, you know, it it is for his purposes, it will be for your good and for others' benefit as well. But no one can dispute that the goodness in our lives is not only his spiritual blessings to us, which have the greatest priority through Christ, 
But when he does bless us with physical and material blessings, they are all just as in his spiritual blessings for a purpose. And this goodness has appeared to us most illustriously when God sent forth his own son. In Galatians 4, where it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions as sons. And at that critical point in in history with the incarnation of his son, God's glory was, was magnified in such praise that the heavenly host were declaring God's goodwill, his goodness toward men through Christ who had just been born. So these next verses I want to go through I hope you'll write them down and take them because they are very precious promises of God's goodness to us. And I'd, I'd challenge you to, to take these and meditate on them and pursue them in, your, in prayer. Psalm 34.10 But they who seek the Lord, critical part, they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Those who are genuinely genuinely after God's own heart, of course, by grace, through faith in Christ, shall not be in want of any good thing. Psalm 37, 23 to 26. Someone like to open that up and read it, please. Okay, go for it. Yes, thank you. Amen. Amen. I I can personally testify to this, not because I'm older, but just having the blessing and privilege of, of, you know, especially going to Cuba to see how these faithful brothers and sisters who are wholeheartedly seeking the Lord and trusting in him, how timely God's provision and goodness is meeting every one of their needs, spiritually, abundantly spiritually, but materially, physically, on every account, and how God just meticulously continues to guide these faithful men who they call local missionaries to go out and seek out these remote villages and places that are destitute of the gospel and and just so impoverished you wouldn't believe it, people actually eating their clothes. But God bringing supply and sustenance, and the first thing they'll want to hear about is Tell me about your God who brought you here. You know, that that just blows you away. But here's God's promise that you delight in his way. Even if you do fall, you won't be hurled headlong. What a, what a glorious testimony that God's there to catch you. He holds our hand. God's goodness is, is especially dispensed upon his that are righteous, who, who walk in his ways who, as Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God and in this love and enjoying his commandments for they're not burdensome. And the outcome of all this is his goodness. No matter, no matter what may come, 
in this life, no matter what. Do we believe that? <laughs> we, we should and we must continue to meditate on that. One final promise, Psalm 84, 11. Psalm 84, 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So let me ask you, how are we to seek out God's best for us? Not a trick question. How do we seek out? How do we, To desire from the source of all goodness, how do we receive what God's goodness to us, what he desires for us? Prayer. Prayer. Talk to him. Ask him. Matthew 7, 7. To ask and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who seeks, who asks, receives. He who seeks finds and he who knocks will be open. What man is there among you when his son or his daughter <laughs> ask for a loaf and you give him a stone? Would, would any of us as parents do that? Absolutely not. I pray not. Or if they ask for a fish, we'll not give him a snake. If you then, if we then, being evil, know how to give our good gifts to your children, how much more will our Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Very simple, very profound. And God delights in this when we come to him asking him for these things because we're not only confessing and expressing what he already knows, but he delights in our understanding that he is not only the source, but we confessing our need that he is the one that can fulfill it and that he will give us exactly what is best for us. Not good enough, not par, not subpar, but exactly what is needed and the best of what is needed. Right? There's no partiality. There's no shadow of turning. There's no secondary motive there. It's all good. God, who is our Heavenly Father, as I said, delights when we come in faith. It it pleases Him to the uttermost to grant those things that are best for us. In accordance with His will, yes, which according to Paul, he says in Romans 12, that will which is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is very similar to David's prayer in Psalm 86.5. He says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. And as I've said several times already, James 1.17, For every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights perfect in his light and his holiness in his goodness no variation or shifting shadow now there's some specifics to God's goodness towards us as believers I want to get into these God is good in his plans for us 
as I said just a minute ago from Romans 12 too, it is, his will is good for us. It is acceptable. It is perfect for our lives. And as we seek to have his will carried out on our lives on earth as it is in heaven, we can truly rest and trust and be confident that it is always going to be good, never bad for us, according to how God defines goodness. It may not always be comfortable and, and easy and pleasant. It is goodness in the midst of affliction, in the midst of dealing with cancer, in the midst of childbirth, in the midst of a loss of a loved one. There is God's goodness found in everything. Even if we should be called for severe persecution or even death ourselves for the sake of Christ. Very familiar passage, Jeremiah 29, 11. God knows the plans that he has for you. Declared specifically for each one of you. Plans for our welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And Ephesians 2.10, glorious passage. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works that he's already preordained for us to do. And in that work that he's ordained us to do, he provides that goodness for us to accomplish it. All that is necessary. So can you see in goodness how many facets there are contained in there? In his goodness, the mercy, the grace, the power, the wisdom, the omnipotence, the omniscience, the omnipresence, all of these are working in harmony for us. Romans 8, 28 and 29, very familiar. I know you know this very well. We know that God causes all things to work together for those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is the reason for our trials. It is for our good. And for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. This is what he is doing in our sanctification, to chisel, to crush, to, to pulverize, to melt away anything that does not look like Jesus in order to conform us into his image, not, not a picture of him, outward appearance, because we don't know what he looked like, but the heart that was like Christ in his love for the Father and his obedience to his perfect will and his submission to whatever he had. Even though he asked, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But if not, thy will be done. Confident in God's goodness that through this he was going to sustain him. How much less will he sustain us? You know, same great measure. His goodness is a great protection for his children. He is our strong tower and our stronghold. Glorious passage, Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Doesn't sound like it goes for everybody, does it? How often have we had to run to him when worry, fear, anxiety, threat overtake us and, and impress themselves upon our minds and our hearts? that tempt us to turn away from God, try to handle it in our own strength, to try to work through it in our own power. But he compels us to come to him, 
to know his goodness and be known by him. This, this is the fundamentals of belief and trust. God is his goodness. God in his, excuse me, God in his goodness is so very patient with his children. How long suffering was the Lord with us up to the point of salvation? I mean, I, I know pastor's testimony and, you know, I could share mine. I don't really want to, but many times should have been dead. But God's patience and care holding me until that point. It doesn't end after salvation. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> He's still very patient and long-suffering and caring for us, again, to conform us into that image of Christ. First John 1 John 1.9, it's a wonderful promise. If we confess our sins, if we come to him, repentant heart, seeking his forgiveness, the blood of Christ to cleanse us. He is faithful, and he is righteous to forgive us all sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. What a good God, and one that we should never presume upon. This is why Asaph said that we sh- when we enter into the house of the Lord, we should be lifting up our voices in thanksgiving and praise. For Jeremiah 31.12 says, They will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion, and they will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord. <clears throat> One final point. Wow, good timing. Praise God. God is so very good to us. May we never doubt his goodness. For this is one of Satan's greatest ploys to trick us, to doubt the goodness of God. It's a blatant lie. We must take it captive. We must repel it far from us. We must put on the armor of Christ, the shield of faith, to be clothed in Christ, to know that nothing false, nothing shadowy, nothing perverted comes from the hand of the Father. And resist these doubts by meditating, remembering, confessing these promises, praying these promises back to God himself. He declared them. He's offering them. Bring them back to him. Hold him account. Bring it to him and say, Father, you promises help. Please. One final thought. The goodness of God is the life of the believer's trust. It is the excellence in God which most appeals to our hearts. Joseph Hart, in the 1800s, 18th century, excuse me, wrote a very simple two stanza hymn. We may have to sing this sometime, brother. How good is the God we adore. How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend. His love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Tis Jesus, the first and the last, Whose spirit shall guide us safe home? We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. Let's go worship the Lord. Amen.